What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Whitetail Edge Podcast, a podcast designed to make you a better whitetail hunter. Now, your host, Ben Rising, and myself, Dylan Gandy. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the second episode of the White Tail Edge podcast. I'm uh, here with Ben. This is actually the third episode, Dylan. Yeah. Okay, so we had some technical difficulties. We were actually going to... Dylan's the best cameraman on the planet. Well, this is audio. So, well, just what happened here, we recorded a little bit earlier and kind of noticed that Ben's mic wasn't picking up a whole lot of volume. After an hour of recording. And then, uh, yeah, a whole hour, which is hard enough to do. It's like pulling teeth to get Ben to do that. But... um. So anyway, I find it out. was a great podcast too, and I know we can't duplicate it. This one's going to be way. better, I promise you. I doubt it. Have faith. It's ten o'clock at night. Want you turn your chair? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I guess we could just kind of retouch here of what we talked about earlier, and we we really did touch on some good subjects of what's happening like right now. You know, it's October thirtieth. We're going to be putting this episode out uh, probably on the first first of November. Um, a lot of people are taking off time for work. Um, I guess let's just touch of like what you're really honing in on right now. Well, obviously nothing cause I haven't killed the deer that I'm after. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a struggle. Yeah. It's, this is my year to struggle. I do believe. Yes. I killed tall boy early, but I do believe that, but I'm chasing one deer. So, I mean, yes, I could have shot other deer, but even this one deer we're hunting on that farm, I have not had a mature deer in front of me. Um, but I haven't, I've only got pictures of one other mature deer other than the big boy we're chasing. But yeah, it's just been a little bit weird. Um, but typically right now I'm, I'm honing in on, you know, they're working scrapes heavy. Um, if you look at the deer cast, you know, like, and I, I say that because, you know, we're working with the Drees on deer cast and we think a lot alike. And so that's kind of why they wanted us to push it. But if you look at how, you know, they have it listed in phases, which is a great idea. It was one of the greatest things that, you know, they come up with. But so it can help people understand like certain phases if they're not real sure. But like this is kind of that pre-lock phase. Um, deer are not with does yet. Um, but you know, they're kind of getting interested and then there's going to be a phase of, you know, high anticipation and seeking and then they'll be locked down. Um, so you've got some time yet. Scrape lines for me are very productive, usually this time of year. Um, that's kind of where I like to concentrate my efforts, you know, scrapes close to food sources or bedding areas where these bucks are going to be sniffing around for does, wanting to show their dominance, push other bucks off. Um, we're getting tons of pictures of bucks working scrapes right now. I mean, tons of them. And then eventually those scrapes will go cold because that means they're getting with does. So that's a telltale sign that, you know, for people that aren't super educated on it as to what position the rut is in at the time, you know, when the scrapes go cold and they're not being opened up, heavy breeding's happening. You know, they're not, they're, they're with does They're And then you'll start seeing those scrapes getting open, opened back up again after some of the major breeding takes place you know that post rut stuff 
um, after the first major phase, you'll start seeing those scrapes getting opened up again. And that's a great time too to, to you know, catch a big buck cruising or call one in. But typically right now, gearing up to hunt funnels, you know, transition zones from bedding, you know, or in between corridors, travel corridors, things like that is what you want to start focusing on here coming up real soon. The moon is a little whacked out right now. Um, it's kind of on a reverse, you know, it's, it's falling in the evening when it should be rising. Those are the better moons. You know, uh, a falling moon in the morning is better than a rising moon. It's rising in the morning now, falling in the evening. So it's kind of a little bit backwards. Um, but that's going to start changing and things are going to start heating up and it's still going to be November and it's still breeding season. I mean, these deer, they only get to breed six weeks out of the year pretty much. So they're still going to be doing their thing. You know, you'd asked earlier on the earlier podcast about the weather. There looks like there's going to be a warm up for a bit. And yes, that can affect them, you know, for sure. Uh, some of the breeding and, you know, the major activity starts taking place at night. But I do believe that, you know, you're still going to catch those deer moving around in the daytime. You're going to have to put some stand time in, hunt hard if your vacation is now and you have no choice. Then my best suggestion is, is hunt all day. Mm-hmm. Suffer through it. Enjoy the suck. And, or embrace the suck, I think they say. Right. And grind it out because that's how I've killed a lot of some of the hardest deer I've hunted. I've just grinded it out. And that's how you get them. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this this time of year that's coming, it, it is like hard to hone in on a, on a particular deer that you've been after, uh, as far as like patterns and everything. They just kind of seem to go out the window. It can. Yep. Um, I mean, the, that's why we're trying so hard right now to get this deer ranger because of the pat. You know, he's he's not. I don't know if you could even say this deer has a pattern. He's so weird. But you're right. I mean, trying to you're getting to that point where the patterns are going to go out the window to where that's going to change. And it's kind of like anybody's guess as to where that deer could end up overnight because whatever girlfriend he gets with or smells or whoever he gets into a fight with or gets locked up and he's in a ditch or you just don't know this time of year. I mean, it's just brutal. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of guys, I mean, myself included i kind of look at the weather that's coming up for the next three four days and it's supposed to get really good again um the following what tuesday i think the temperature drops a lot deer deer cast is great for a.m and p.m and it kind of continues that way for a few days so i mean just looking at 70 degree temperatures the next couple days kind of it's kind of deterring to me but i mean what's what do you i know you kind of touched on that for a minute but well i mean i just feel like I look at it like this. I mean, again, they get six weeks out of the year to breed. You see deer in bean fields in 95-degree weather in the summer in daylight. So I don't think – it does suppress the movement some. I mean, it definitely makes it tougher. It makes it tougher on a hunter. You're sweaty, hot, going to stands, um, things like that. You know, the deer don't feel as vibrant either, you know, if it's hot. You know, so a water hole could be a good place up on a ridge somewhere. Um, creek bottoms, you know, you just got to watch those thermals. But yeah, I mean, it it's it, pre- it presents its own challenge having a little bit warmer weather for sure. And it's not as enjoyable to hunt the rut when it's like that. Um, but you still can be successful. And what I have found is, again, is being just persistent. You have to put stand time in. If you're not hunting a particular deer like I am right now, I'm hunting one buck. 
um, and you're just trying to kill a mature deer or a, a, a racked whitetail, stand time is going to be your best friend here coming up. You know, there's just no doubt about it. Just being in the stand, especially because a lot of guys take off the first week of November, and so they're they got to take they got to hunt when they can. So don't get too discouraged. You know, hunt those funnels and places that have worked for you before. They're going to walk through there. It's going to happen. You pack any snacks in those all-day sets? What's your favorites? I know well, today we went pretty empty stomachs. Yeah, my name's not Jeff Lindsay. Yeah, <laughs> not all about the snacks. Oh. Well. If you could, if you had to pick something to take to the stand to get, get PB and J, yeah, that's the go-to, huh? PB and J and Apple, stuff like that. I mean, that's pretty much my simple types. I love peanut butter and jelly. I eat peanut butter by the spoonful, and hot dog sandwiches and hot dogs. I love hot dogs. But um, okay, so scrambled eggs. Yeah. <clears throat> what about uh, you know you hear a lot of guys in the rut. Uh, how how important water is in the rut? Do you have any experience like sitting over a particular water hole or something like that? That's that seemed to work for you, um, especially with these warmer days coming up. I have not had my own super experience with that because I just don't. You know, I mean, typically a lot of times I'll have the deer I'm after killed by now. Um, I'm typically hunting someplace in Kansas about now. You know, things like that, using calling as my friend, you know, using the black rack and the extinguisher at that point. Um, not so much focusing on water and things like that. I'm looking for deer cruising down wind sides of bedding areas. I'm calling into thickets, cold calling, almost like predator hunting when I go to Kansas. That's kind of how I hunt those deer a lot. Um, but the Midwest whitetails, I'm not as aggressive calling because I think they hear a lot more calling, especially like we're in Illinois right now for the weekend. Um, there's a lot of outfitters in these areas, you know, and they've got a lot of different clients coming in, hunting over hunting farms and hunting different places. And these deer hear it all, you know, cause you get experienced hunters, non-experienced hunters, and they're all just throwing everything at them with the kitchen sink to try to get a deer killed. So I think you have to be very careful. You have to watch the deer's body language. I don't like to do a lot of cold calling, especially rattling too much until it's like maybe a phase where I'm desperate and the deer are in that mood where they're pretty aggressive because they're looking for the last available does or whatever, or the first ones, then it can, it can, you know, their, their hormones can overtake their brain. So sometimes they can react, but I like to read a deer's body language first. If you, know, you watch some of our videos where I'm calling to deer, I test them out, see what they, what they think. Like if they flick their tail, like if you call, say you grunt to a buck and he flicks his tail, he heard you. You don't have to just keep waylaying on it like a, you know, a blowhorn. I honestly didn't know that until watching your hunts. Yeah. So like if he flicks his tail, he's like, okay, I, I heard you, you know, give him a second. A lot of times they finish what they're doing. They turn and walk right to you. So if he's like, just keep on them, then it can scare them. Now there's times like the the King Eight hunt was a great hunt to for people to see where like I got super aggressive with the deer. Yeah, you know that was intense. So to make that deer think that there was another buck around the corner that he just couldn't see, pushing a doe around, and he finally just gave up. He couldn't take it. and He had to come. But then there's times like if you go back and you watch the hunt in Kansas years ago where I killed Titus, the two fifteen. The first morning I encountered that deer. I grunted at him once or twice, and he wasn't having it, and I just backed right off. 
Like I didn't call anymore. I didn't want to spook him. I let him do his thing, and then we killed him the next day. Kind of like the with same. a with a tickle rattle. I I called him in, but that's how we killed him. Uh, I was just putting a reel together the other day on Instagram of uh, Evander. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same deal, right? I, yeah. Um, I know you had that encounter. You snort wheezed at him a couple times. Yep. Same deal. I saw him flicker flicker, flicker his tail a couple. He times. knew I was there, but he didn't want to come. Yeah. And you just laid off. Yeah. And did you come the next day? Killed or? him on the. I think it was three days later. Yeah. But Something I mean, like you that. didn't get like. You didn't like throw the kitchen sink in no. the gear. You just kind of because it would have just would have just spooked him. He would have known that this isn't right. Right. You know? What is it about Kansas you think that just makes them so receptive to calls? It's it's strange because you know I've heard you talk about it numerous times. I've heard a lot of guys talk about Kansas and why those deer are so easily callable. I don't know. I, I personally don't know why they're so aggressive. I mean, <clears throat> I. I know they get hunting pressure too, you know, I mean, it's just like around, you know, here in Illinois and Ohio, I mean, these deer private land or not, they feel a lot of pressure. I mean, they just do, you know, I've heard some people recently saying that deer on private land don't, uh, don't pay attention to scent and that things like that. But, um, that's BS, you know, I don't care who you are. That's, I don't care if it's public land, private land, urban zone, Whitetails are whitetails and scent matters. You can't stink and you can't, you know, you need to do the best you can to hunt the wind right, you know. Um, I guess there's some people that think they can, you know, wear enough of the right clothing or do enough of the right things that they can hunt the wrong wind all the time, but there's very few people that can get away with that, you know, and you're, you, you may not even know it, but you're spooking deer, you know. Um, so, I mean, we use the phase products, things like that. Obviously, we believe in it, but I'm still trying to use the wind to my advantage as much as possible because when you're hunting five, six-year-old deer, they're just that much more survivalist. You know, you got to be on top of your game. And, um, you know, and like the comment I'm referring to is, you know, basically they're talking about, or this one particular individual was talking about that, like if you hunt big giant farms like the Drury's or, you know, like somebody like Don Higgins or whatever, like they're, these deer aren't regular deer. Well, that's so false. I mean, like that's just not even, that's so far off base. It's that, really just a slap in the face kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no doubt that public land deer are more difficult to kill. Absolutely. Because, you know, they, they do feel more pressure all the time. But they still walk. I mean, you know, I've killed some really good deer on public land on film for the Drury's and myself in the past. Um, or deer coming off of public. Yeah, or deer coming off public onto private. But, you know, they're all the same deer. But just because maybe some guy has a thousand acres that he can manage severely still doesn't mean that that deer needs to be a total dummy to survive his whole life. Because he's going to leave that property at some point. Yeah. Well, I I think the only difference is, is you on the private land you're going to run a run across maybe a couple higher caliber deer. And that's, yeah. That's well, I agree. Only, I mean, that's they, the only difference. you're getting the chance. Those deer are getting the chance to get older and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, they can maybe walk more in daylight because they don't feel the pressure in that sense. But I'm more referring to the comment of they don't pay attention to scent. 
human scent, and that's just BS. Like yeah. they do. So, um, you know, but you know, whatever. We don't need to get on that subject too much. But I totally respect Don Higgins, and you know, think Don's like I was saying earlier in the first podcast that we had to scrap. You know, Don was one of the first people I ever remember talking or reading about in one of his articles about hunting a wind that was like somewhat good for the deer. Somewhat good for the deer. The deer a, a wind good enough to make the deer feel like he was safe, but yet it was sketchy for the hunter, but it was kind of that fine line. And I guess what I was referring to was is that I thought it was hilarious how over the years everybody started stealing that and every other article writer would write that, you know. Yeah. And use that, you know, because uh, it sounded good. That's their bread and butter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, just like I was talking about scrapes, you know, like people ask me a lot about scrape hunting. Why aren't you supposed to hunt like 40, 50 yards downwind because those big bucks cruise downwind to the scrapes checking them? They do not. I mean, maybe they do. I've never seen one do it ever. I always hunt the scrape because I want to be on the scrape where that deer's coming to freshen it, urinate in it, smell that doe so he can track her out of there if it's a hot doe. I'm... You know, I try to dupe those bucks with the Black Widow lures. So um, that's, I, I'm on the scrapes, especially those big hub scrapes, you know, or community scrapes that are in between bedding or on a food source this time of year that are like on the outskirts or just on the edge where every buck that comes there is going to hit it because they all want to tell each other who they are. Um, so, I, again, that was just another thing that a lot of people used to write about. It just sounded good. But one thing I've noticed over the years, there's very few people that write these articles that actually kill really good deer, in my opinion. You know, there's a couple, but, you yeah. know, like Bill Winky, I feel, was one of the best. I mean, Bill always put results behind what he wrote. Don does the same thing. Um, I don't know a lot of other guys, you know, but I've read a lot of articles. And then in the end of the picture, it's, you know, the guy holding a 120-inch deer, you know. Yeah. two and a half three year old deer not knocking that just saying those aren't deer i feel that are the same caliber as once you get to a five and a half six and a half year old that allows you to write articles and tell everybody how they should hunt a big deer mm-hmm. well just kind of circling back to scrapes and it's kind of incredible <clears throat> how much attention scrapes and mock scrapes have gotten like our messages are probably 90 percent about scrapes how to do a mock scrape when to use this when to mm-hmm. use that like you are Mr. Black Widow. I think you honestly. I think you should get a Black Widow tattoo yeah, on your I'll neck. Have one or tattoo on me. Period. <laughs> but I mean, that's what people associate with you, and I think it's just because of how much success you've had, whether it be a mock scrape or doctoring up an existing scrape or how you hunt a scrape. Like people are just so intrigued by that. Yeah. It's almost become like one of the most popular topics. I mean, it is by far one of, it is by far the most popular topic that we get asked about because people watch me shoot these deer and scrapes. Yeah. I mean, they just want to know how, how, how you do it. I mean, yeah. whether that be like, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what time of year it is either. Like mm-hmm. they instantly start coming in. Those questions start coming in in June. Yeah, they do. But you know, you've used, you've had mock scrapes in the summer months and you, you know, you've gotten great Intel on those scrapes and you know how those deer are using the scrape throughout the year and yeah well like typically in the summer i mean i'll make some air mainly in the summer i'm making a visual like i'm making a spot 
that I know as fall comes, they'll take it over and they will start to use that. And it's in a position that gives me an advantage to hunt, like an easy access spot or something I can get in and out of, but it's a spot where I want to scrape to be. I'm not necessarily like completely doctoring up that spot, but I'll take a weed whip or whatever and I'll make that bare spot and it just becomes a visual attractant to those deer and they start taking it over. You'll notice as the fall gets there and their hormones start changing, they'll just start ripping that thing up. And, you know, I'll use a little just urine in it here and there, but, and, you know, deer will step in scrapes. They know where those scrapes are through the summer months when it's hot, but they don't really get crazy about them until that velvet starts. They can feel that velvet starting to harden up and they're going to start shedding. Um, that's when I notice they start communicating a little more. Yeah, and we actually have a great video that we just put out not too long ago. Uh, I think it's titled Everything You Need to Know About Mock Scrapes. I wouldn't say it's everything inside your brain because that video could easily be yeah, hours. And, uh, you know, it's there, a lot of it's situational timing, but, you know, there is a lot of really good information on that video. But um, one question I had for you in the other podcast um, – you know, I was with you the other day on that on that new piece that you just picked up. Um, and by the way, you got that with one of our new sponsors, um, NFP Insurance. And um, that is just a if you guys don't have NFP Insurance, I mean, we can we'd be more than happy to fill you in on th- on that information. But you're really doing yourself a disservice as a guy that is looking looking for property, and it's a great way to gain access. But uh, when we were doing that on that property some like how you were moving your cameras and what you were looking for some of those um well yeah just real quick though like basically so people understand what we're talking about is we got access to a piece of ground that um the guy basically had been known to just tell everybody no and it was always a liability issue or whatever you know a lot of people use that excuse that well my insurance company won't let me or i don't want to be liable but if you go prepared and you pull out your actual insurance waiver and show them that you carry insurance for exactly this kind of situation and hunting and covering the properties and your liability and it is a game changer and nfp has a program with the outdoor program they call it that uh you know they have carriers that they can put this together and get you insured and it's very reasonable priced and um from leases to personal property to you know general liability for your own safety and health it's pretty darn it's good a, stuff. It's just another great tool to put in your arsenal. I mean, yeah. well, you gained a lot of access this year yourself. Not gonna like earlier today we were talking about Lee Ellis, um, Seek One, Seek One Lee, and I, which I don't know Lee, but I, I was just telling Dylan, you know, the guy obviously knows what he's doing. You know, I don't care who you are, or where you hunt, you can't kill as many big bucks as Lee has killed in the last couple of years if you. Or you're not just lucky. And I don't care if they're urban deer or not. They're still deer. And he's working hard. He's busting his butt to gain access to get on these deer. And he's obviously passing other deer to get to these big deer. Uh, it's pretty impressive to me. I mean, you It'd be know. scary to know what um, would happen if he had NFP insurance. <laughs> I almost I almost guarantee he probably, I don't know what yeah, his yeah, tools yeah. are, but he I probably does have them. I would think if, I mean, because from what I understand, he hunts a lot of urban zones. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah and he so doesn't... I would think he's talking to a lot of probably 
wealthier people or people that have some money or decent properties in those areas because to have any kind of amount of land to hunt in an urban zone you probably are dealing with an individual that has some wealth so i would think they would want that so maybe lee does i don't know if that's his secret but i'm just saying not even talking about the insurance part but just more or less i think it's pretty impressive what the guy has pulled off and some of the deer that he's shooting and because you were telling me you were showing me where he made a meme where because people were bashing him about like does he he flies his deer in and then shoots him yeah i mean come on like People. people are just crazy to me what they will say to people that kill big bucks consistently. Mm-hmm. It's really only about how much work you want to put in. And, like, you can just tell that dude must put in a ton of work finding those deer. He just has to because you can't find – you don't just kill that many big deer not putting the time in. No matter where it's at, you're putting time in to kill those deer. Yeah. I, I put a short up of my deer, and, you know, he came in with, like, two other bucks – but um, you should go read the comments. I know you have. Yeah, I, I know you hate reading comments, but you should just go read the comments yeah, on it because I have gotten so many. I've read them for so many years that that's why I have you to do it now, Dylan. Hi, because I don't want to read yeah. it. Hi, fence. You're hunting by a road, like it's, yeah. Oh yeah. It's t- like a roadside petting zoo. I got that one, mm-hmm. but no. But uh, I'd say my success rate went up exponentially this year be- because of that insurance. Like I picked up probably nine or ten properties this year and i had to pull that card out probably three times and uh it gained access because that was just one of the reasons that they that that, you know they thought that they could fire at somebody because i guarantee no one's ever knocked on their door and said that they had insurance for hunting so it was like man they were like oh man well it's kind of hard to say no now yeah i don't have an excuse yeah (laughs) i mean the guy's a straight shooter he's prepared and that's one thing um knocking on doors and stuff i'm i'm always prepared i always have copies of my driver's license and my truck color my license plate number and all that people uh i think people respect it i mean well they could tell you're a little more responsible at that point yeah. that you're not just some guy that's wanting to come you know traipse through their property and you know especially if you explain a little bit about how you hunt and things like that didn't you say though that there was a video out there of like where lee explained how he got access no that's a secret sauce he said oh. that's what he says oh gotcha i don't know if he does a master class now but um yeah i'm pretty sure that's like his secret sauce I I, got he's got a spiel that he said he's mastered for a long time i mean he knocks on a lot of doors and he's like really what inspired me to even try urban bow hunting gotcha. and, um yeah it's pretty fascinating i think he's probably a pretty smooth talker and you know he's a just comes across as a responsible individual yeah, i think as long as you're genuine to people though too you know yeah like people can read through just swindlers but yeah for you sure. know he's obviously responsible and does what he's supposed to do or yeah. he wouldn't be still and hunting these places he also he also claims that he's never paid for any property or anything like that i mean of course people say that he does and what i could but, say that yeah <laughs> i've had to honestly pay some leases uh this was uh this was the first year I never paid for many leases or anything, which yeah. is pretty cool. But I just picked up a bunch of property that... Um, I'm too old. I'm done with yeah. the... I don't blame you. I would do it, too, if I was in that I'm, position. Well, if I'm at, well, I never used to be in that financial position, so I was right where you were years ago. Yeah. That's why people, you know, some of the... Like I said before in my first podcast, people will either seem to love me or hate me, and the ones that hate me are the ones that I hunt next to or that 
you know, maybe I've somehow got their ground they used to hunt on at some point because landowners find out that you lease land or that you'll pay decent money and you treat their property right, they will come to you. Um, now, I don't just pay for it all myself. You know, we have a little group of guys, you know, like Dan and, uh, you know, my buddy Mark and things like that. And so we kind of have a little group together and, you know, we can just kind of help fund all these projects. You know, when somebody approaches you about some ground that maybe is for lease or whatever, I look at it like this. If the guy's going to lease it, he's going to lease it to somebody. So why not? If, if it's good and I like it, then yeah, I'll, we'll lease it, you know, sometimes. Sometimes we don't. There's been property I have walked away from because I knew who hunted it. And I didn't want to be the guy that took it. You know what I mean? So I was like, go ahead and let somebody else take it because I don't want to deal with that. You know, I don't want to be the guy that is known for that. Because um, I don't ever try to just take property from somebody ever. That's not something I would do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you, I can't remember. It was this, it wasn't that long ago. You had mentioned a big deer and you're like, well, I'm just not even going to step on their toes. Yeah. No, that's true. It was a big deer. Yeah. And I could have got it, that access, but I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to step on those people's toes. They've been trying to kill that deer a year or two. And like, I, I respect that. So I, I have my limits by, for sure you know i still have but there's times you know it was more or less when i was outfitting is what i'm talking about when i was still outfitting i needed the ground so but now it's different you know so i'm a lot more choosy and picky and a lot of times i'm looking for particular pieces and i'm door knocking myself for those pieces yep well guys if you do have any questions about the nfp you know we we do uh just email me, Dylan, that's D-Y-L-O-N, at whitetelledge.com. I'd be more than happy to, to help you out with that. But to move on from there, where I was getting at was those scrapes and where you're removing your cameras. Um, can you kind of talk about those spots where you moved your cameras? And another question, a follow-up question to that would be, is there a way for you to determine of what scrapes kind of belong to more mature deer or bigger deer? Well, I'm let's start with the cameras. I mean, I'm obviously running my cameras on scrapes right now. You know, no, trying to just get that. I, I transition my cameras to scrapes usually around the 15th of October. And then I, I run them there till, and I'll run them there all through, even way into November. Because, like I said, those deer will fall off those and then come back and start working them. And that's a telltale sign of, okay, these deer, maybe a big deer you're after is getting more vulnerable again. But, um great places to put them right now are like in these funnel spots places that you typically don't go into a lot in the timber you know you slide in there get a camera running in a pinch or a funnel saddle some place like that a corner you know a tree line connecting blocks of woods where deer are going to run that tree line going from one place to another um, you can kind of get a gauge on what kind of activity and how much of a travel corridor that really is that was one of my tactics when i hunted public land a lot was basically finding a travel route from good bedding areas on public land to other bedding areas because those bucks know how to get back and forth from one area to the other to get to those does, you know. And obviously they're going to use private land too around the public, you know, for food sources because typically the great food sources are on farms that border public. So you have to take all that into account 
but just know that a big deer will walk a long way to feel safe you know so he may be bedding way back in and sometimes i think they bed way closer to the parking lots and to the people than you know they expect um do you think that might be an instance of the particular deer that you might be hunting now i mean you had kind of mentioned that as we were walking in tonight you're like man i just you know you're looking up at that because you could just be sitting there watching you kind of bottom access yeah and the bottom access stinks i mean i talk about it all the time i hate bottom access and now that the leaves are really come off like just from four days ago the last time we were up there it's amazing what it looks like yeah it's way different and um that you know being this is new property to us to hunt on it's like holy smokes this dude could be laying right there just watching down that hill and seeing every all the hunters over the last 20 years that walk in on the neighbors to hunt like he just knows that you know these deer know that's a safe vantage point so that got me thinking tonight sitting in the stand for sure yeah and you had mentioned like man winter hits i don't know how we're even gonna you would never you could never get in there in the winter time i'm i'm convinced well you'd have to plant yeah so like we talked about putting the borderline yeah you know something like that has to next year because you know we'll be able to so we'll be able to do with it what we want but um that typically you know for the people in the past that have not been able to do that possibly you know it's probably created a serious issue you know and them not even realizing that them deer are probably just watching you and they just don't get up they just sit there so you're what four sets in now on this farm yeah four sets was tonight yeah um and I have not seen him. Yeah, tonight felt great too. It did. It really did feel. I know Deercast said it was only going to be okay, and it turned out to be less than okay. But um, I just felt like with that little bit of rain and the overcast and the time of year, I felt like they were going to come work them scrapes. Yeah. Well, we I mean, didn't, we did hear from some other folks, you know, that they uh, they had success. Yeah. We've seen, you know, you know, Lamar killed that good one the other day, but. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, it, it is, there is something with the high pressure. I mean, the barometer definitely gets deer on their feet, um, makes them feel good. But I've had great success on just like tonight's, you know, or on nights just like this evening was too. So that's why we drove that far to go hunt it because I really felt like we might, and we had pictures of him last night. And granted, it was well after dark. And typically, I don't start jumping on a deer like this till I start getting some daylight photos. And, but I'm pushing the envelope a little bit because we know the neighbors are hunting him too. So, but now I got to really rethink the strategy some myself even. And but this is the fun part. Yeah, you know. And uh, for the area that we're in currently right now, the den- the deer density is extremely high. And as we head out to that farm, it is not as high. Yeah, there's by far really not a lot of deer on that place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't appear to be. Maybe that's why that big buck likes likes it could so be better. and but i also think it could be to his detriment too as as he gets to that anticipating phase he's gonna he might have to walk farther which could be bad because you know he could get onto the neighbors way too which i know he's walking them. we already know he walks the neighbors they already know about him other people know about him they're hunting him but what i'm getting at is that can be to your advantage too if he has to walk looking for more does so like farms that are just loaded with does he doesn't have to go far he doesn't have to go far so that's where a lot of people that have a overpopulated doe population it hurts them in the rut everybody thinks i gotta you gotta have all the does man you know if your farm's loaded with does you'll have the bucks well 
that can happen, mm-hmm. but um, we try to keep our farms pretty in check with the does, mm-hmm. you know. Man, that seems almost like a chore in some of oh, these yeah. spots, like gee, yeah, Christmas. It is. It's, it's really it out of control. It takes a lot of people yeah. in an effort to, you know, so I was trying to explain to Lamar, too, you know, like how many deer you really got to shoot in a year to, to keep it. Like, I think I heard Mark saying the other day, or so, was it Mark? Or maybe it was Terry or somebody had said that I think they shoot over 100 does a year. Jeez. To, to keep their farms, because it's yeah, that important. Between the whole group. Yeah, yeah. between it, yeah. But it's like that, it's that important to keep that ground. Yeah, you know. anti's literally have zero idea. I mean, yeah. if, if, if. Well, and it's, and it's also, it's also for. It's also good. De- for managing big bucks, you need to do that, but. It's also good for the deer population in general, health-wise. Yeah, I'm, dude, driving out here, I could not imagine if people did not hunt. Yeah, Holy crap. <laughs> like, I would lay money on anyone that has been driving for at least a year has it hit probably two or three years. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like my area in Ohio. It's crazy. Like, the Shockton County areas, Holmes, Southern Holmes County is just flat-loaded. Route 62 is like a death trap. I, I think about that all the time when I see these guys in Danville, Ohio – or in Millersburg, the stretch in between Danville and Millersburg, these guys are fueling up their Harleys, and it's evening time, and they're death you sentence. know they're from out of town, and they're going from one town to the other. Maybe and they it's might getting not know. dusk, and no. it's like, oh my gosh! I tell them like, hey man, if you're going that, they like that stretch because of the curves. Yeah. Oh, I can see that. It's appealing. and it's pretty. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful this time of year, but it doesn't matter what time of year. That stretch is loaded with deer crossing the roads in the evenings, and you know, I just tell them like, man, you got to be careful. You yeah, know, dude, that would be terrifying. Because yeah, them deer there. aren't smart deer. Like you were saying tonight, these deer out here in Illinois seem to kind of understand the roads just a little bit. But yeah. Them deer, they do not. Yeah. So jog my memory here, because I'm thinking back to a video of, or some instance of you talking about a buck that was like bedded down, and he was like sent checking does as they came by, or. Oh, it, you're talking high and tight back yeah yep yeah like 15 or 14 something like that i shot that deer in ohio yeah high and tight was a good deer he he was a you know 183 i think yeah nick munt scored him because they were in camp nick and michael were there um that's when you were outfitting yeah i was outfitting a little bit mm-hmm. and then i was hunting you know this lease that was actually over by your house yep but uh, long story short it was a cool thing that i watched this deer do and it taught me a lot I'd never seen a buck do this, but what he did is he literally, it was like October 27th was the day I killed him. But on the 26th, I watched him. I laid eyes on him the first time I hunted him, but then the next evening or the next morning I killed him. But I watched him the evening before lay down at the intersection of about four trails, about 40 yards back in from the edge of the field that all the deer were going to go to to feed at. And he just laid down right there. And every doe that walked down that trail to come to that kind of that intersection to go out into the field, he'd get up and he'd check them. What a boss. He'd harass them around a little bit, check them, sniff them. Then he'd lay back down. I mean, literally lay back down, like not waste any energy. 
like not chasing him like a little buck would and being all dumb. He just would lay right back down just and wait for the next one. Conserving his energy. Yeah. And it was just amazing to watch. And one came down through there, and he stuck with her. And that's when you killed him. And I killed him the next morning, probably following that doe through the pinch in the same same stand I hunted the night before. But I caught him coming back through in the morning with that doe, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. I wonder how often that actually happens, like deep in those core bedding areas. Yeah, and probably more than we think. I mean, if he did it, I'm sure other mature deer know to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's – and I've watched where – does go to the bucks you know we talked about that a little bit earlier you know i think some big dominant bucks they the does seek them out like they know they're the i you know i don't know if that's 100 percent the truth but i feel like there is some truth to that because i almost feel like a doe would could almost sense like a strong genetic buck and she would obviously want her offspring to have good genetics I don't know. I think I, you're thinking too deep there, Dylan. Maybe. I don't know. Do you think deer really think about, man, that guy's got good genes? I don't know. You don't think there's like a sexual appeal to a I don't big know. I don't racked. know about that. <laughs> it makes sense. I don't know how she could sense that his genes were any better than Frank's over there. I don't know. Like, do you think women can? I've seen some of the women, some of the guys they're <laughs> and with. You question. And you're like, <clears throat> I don't think so. You ever. <laughs> I mean, do you think Michaela looked at you and was like, man, Dylan is just a genetic, genetic specimen. superior specimen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do make beautiful kids. Yeah, he sleeps till 10 o'clock every day. He's uh, just the perfect man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, well. <laughs> we'll move on from that it's, one. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good thought. You know, you got these big six or seven points. They just seem really That's mad. why you wanted to do podcasts so you could ask these crazy questions. Well, hey, I'm just digging I don't for, think deer, I'm, I will say, I do think deer can reason. I do think that. I, You know, a lot of people say animals can't reason, but I've watched my dog reason, think things out, and I've watched bucks before do things that I know that there was something going on between those ears more than just them surviving. Like, literally thinking it out, almost. Like, you could just tell. Yeah. And So you don't think a doe can look at an old crappy six-point and be like, eh. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not saying... I, I definitely would believe that maybe the rack... Like that sight of a big rat could possibly turn them on. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that that couldn't happen, but to like sense that a certain deer has better genes than another, I don't know if they can do that. I don't think they're like Superman or God. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, maybe the sight of, maybe that's why God gave other deer big racks. But it seems like a lot of these bully bucks get a lot of the breeding done. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, you know. You can keep passing on those junky genetics, but, you know, a doe has a lot to play in that factor of genetics, too. Right. You know, it's, it's not always just the buck that produces the better bucks. You know, a lot of times it's the does on your farm. And so, like, if you got a farm that's just consistently producing not good deer, that's when I suggest to people that ask my opinion, I suggest you kind of do a reboot. You know, you get aggressive you enlist buddies, whatever, and you just kind of start thumping, get some of the, get rid of those deer. 
like start thumping them out and other deer will re- other deer will replace it very fast and just starting to start see what kind of genetics you might start getting then gotcha well this is episode two so you got a lot of episodes ahead of yeah i know really this off, is my second one for the day really off the wall questions for a long time you're gonna wonder if i have a genetic disorder yeah i've already <laughs> wondered that after after the first podcast today you're like oh my computer was plugged into my whatever that thing's called yeah well at the end of the day i'm still just a redneck yeah. but um so one last thing i really want to cover on this episode is let's just kind of do a summary here you know a lot of guys have taken off work for this time of the year that's here what are some of the things they really need to stick to i know you said stand time is really crucial is there anything like off the wall maybe a little bit or something that's a little bit of a ben rising secret that they should kind of keep in their i don't really have any secrets anymore they've all been on my show pretty much we had so many comments this year people saying man we really appreciate you giving your info out for free Mm -hmm. on your videos but it's just stand i mean just hunt smart you know i mean i can't just teach everybody how to hunt like it's hard like you either got it or you don't you know and don't just don't be afraid to make mistakes you know like i mean there's tactics that some guys use that I don't think I would ever try. Like I was just talking tonight, you know, like we were talking about the bump and dump, mm-hmm. you know, and I always used to hear Andre talking about that. And I know it works for him. I'd be scared to death to try that a lot. Cause like some of the deer, like we were just talking about the farm I was just on the other day and we put those cameras up and I know I bumped a decent deer out of there and it's been two days, two full days now. And there hasn't been a good buck on any of those cameras on that whole farm. Like, it's almost like all the deer just left because they weren't used to anybody being in there. So, like, that freaks me out, like, mm-hmm. to do that. So, but it works for him. I mean, he's killed many deer that way. That's fascinating to me. That, like, so many of these, uh, you know, these big-time hunters or big-buck killers have the, like, everybody's got something different. different. And it works for them, and it might not work for you. And everybody guy. will say, well, what works for you? I don't really know. Man, I it's all about the situation. Like I, I don't know even, I don't even know what I'm going to do till I get. Yeah. I mean, you're just a soup. You're mobile. You're a mobile hunter. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I'm just persistent too. I mean, and I'm focused like this time of year, it's very hard for me to think of much anything else. Cause I feel like I have a job to do. You know, I have sponsors, you know, these people are supporting our show i do not want to let them down i don't want to let our fans down because it's got to a point where people expect me to kill really good deer and you know so i want to do that for them because they enjoy watching it because some people don't have the opportunities to do that or maybe the experience or the properties to do it on but they love to watch it and i think people really like watching our show in a sense because we do it in a little different way than some maybe maybe it's a way that they can relate to just a little bit more but I don't know for sure, but we try to tell a good story. We try to teach people along the way how to what we're doing to where maybe it could work for them. Um, had a cool email this morning from a guy. I don't know where my phone is. Let me find it real quick. So, yeah, so, like, just for an example, I got this email this morning from a guy. It says, going to buy a new bow this year at 51 years old. 
and I have a bad shoulder. I'm dropping my poundage down to probably 55, 60 pounds. Good call right there, instantly. Yep. Going with a prime inline to support whitetail edge. Well, thank you, sir. Are you using the inline when question mark, which I am, yes. Also, Whitetail Edge has the best content and the best educational on YouTube by far. You and your team are awesome. Shot my buck on October 23rd, which is my favorite day, using what I learned from you. Thank you for helping bow hunters to hunt at a higher level. If I can figure out how to send you a pick of my buck, I will probably. It's a mid-140s, very top-end buck for Harrison County, West Virginia. Thanks again for what you do for bow hunting. And that was from Robert Golden. Dude, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, and we get lots of that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. Maybe once in a while I'll read stuff like that. Um, but that's really awesome that we can help people, you know, and that people are getting something out of it other than, um, and it's not, they don't think it's just like we're just out there bragging about all the deer we're shooting or this, because, man, it comes hard for us. It's not, last year I had a great run, four bucks in 12 days. That just all came together. You know, it worked perfect this year. is my year to struggle. I killed Tallboy early, but it's been a grind, you know, since. I was on a good buck in Kentucky on that lease that I talked about that um, anybody could have leased it. It was through base camp, public leasing thing. I took a chance on it because I liked the aerial and had a pretty decent deer on it. Not a giant, you know, probably a 50s deer. And uh, finally got on him, and I missed him. I I don't know how because you watch the video and you're like, I mean, I, I know how because you watch him jump the string like he'd been shot at by a, like he's been shot at 50 times by a high powered rifle. Yeah, but we've chest. had a lot of trespassers in there, so I think those deer feel ultra pressure. Dude, those deer are feel impossible. Yeah. Like it was insane. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, I felt good that I got on him, was able to get a shot, but I, you know. He's still there. I got his picture again the other day. So, um, but we got trucks pulling in there. You can see him spotlighting the field. Like it's just nuts. Like that's what I hate about some of those places, like trying to lease, because you just don't know what you're gonna get. But yeah, it's completely out of your control. But anyway, so just saying with that, you know, we're not out there. It's not easy for us too. It's not like we just go out and turn the key and we kill giant deer. And I don't think it happens like that for just everybody. I mean, even some of the guys with the biggest, you know, celebrities and farms, and I don't think it's just always that easy. No. Just, you know, people are at home or watching are just seeing the successful results, you know, not all the empty sits. Yeah, I mean, I think if it was that easy, I don't think a lot of these guys would still do it. I mean, it, what, it would be zero fun, really. I mean, yeah, I think true. you love this chess match. And I oh, think I do. You love the struggle that you're facing right now, I think. I, yeah, I, I, I think as, I do. As bad as, I mean, as bad as it stresses you out, I mean, this is what you live for. Yeah, when it finally it pays off, I it's mean, a great there feeling. is not a better feeling. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, you know, as you can – I'm not super social this time of year, you know. I mean, and I, I hate that, and I hope people don't ever feel like that I'm around. But I'm just so focused. Like, you know, when I leave my family – for a week or something to come to Illinois and do these things. That's what I'm doing. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not screwing off. I'm not, you know, I'm here to get a job done. You've and prepared so much in the off season. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And it'd be foolish of you not to be focused. Yeah. So I try to be very in tune and my mind just never stops. I'm always thinking about the next move or what is that deer doing or what should I be doing? Or just like tonight walking in, what did I say to you? I was like, you know what, right there, that could be exactly what he's doing. Because then I saw something I didn't see before. 
as far as like just a little slope in that hill. And I was like, maybe that's where he's cutting over. So that's already got me, you know, my mind twirling. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're always racking your brain. I think you said, you mentioned before that sometimes you feel like you give the deer too much credit, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we can all give deer too much credit sometimes um, because I just feel like there's just being deer, you know, now granted maybe deer that feel ultra pressure. Yes. They know to maybe lay down longer or not move, move as much till after dark. And that could be this deer's deal because he's pretty nocturnal, but he is going to slip up and any deer will on public land or whatever. I mean, you know, it's going to happen. You know, I, I hunted public land one time. I missed a 170 in the morning, a legit 170s 10. Mm. Uh, sick to my stomach. It was the deer I went in there after. Because um, the day before when I was scouting, I saw him. Didn't even know he was there. I'd never been on the property before in my life. I was scouting it. And me and my buddy Jake walked up on him and another deer at a distance. And they were just trolling through the timber together, like following a doe. I was like, holy smokes. And so we we got a stand hung, and I encountered that deer the very next morning. Um, and I was self-filming, and I was so focused on trying to get it all on film that that's the hard part. That was early on with the Drury's, and that was the hard part about learning to self-film and get the shot pulled off. Like, you're, you're trying to do so many different things. That it's hard to concentrate. And, I mean, I just missed that deer by a fraction. Um, but then I sat there, I got discouraged and I was going to get out. I was all upset and I was like, no, just sit it out. And at one forty-five, I killed a 158 inch eight point. Same spot. Only you, <laughs> you know, I missed tat this year and I got out of the stand and I li- listened to Gary Allen all the way home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, you know, but I was clear in Iowa. I couldn't go home. And I was there to hunt, so I was sticking it out, you know. But, uh, you know, those kind of days can be, I don't know where even where I was going with that. I'm losing my mind. It's late at night. I'm getting tired. But I mean, one more thing here. I think a lot of people that don't realize is, like, a lot of us sell film a ton. And, um, gosh, we put so much into it, so much work. Carrying all that that junk in. I did a hanging hunt the other day on top of that hill, stand, camera arm sticks you know the novix stand which thankfully the novix <clears throat> setup is very light which compared to what i used to carry around so it makes it a lot easier but still it's a lot of it's a lot of to do yeah it takes a lot of your time a lot of our effort yeah. and it takes people a- yeah and the people at home that sorry to interrupt you but the people at home that get to watch this it's free content mm-hmm. like we're putting all this effort in and you're watching it for free yeah you're not having to pay to watch it it's we put it in places that you can just click the button so that's why it does get annoying when people make some of the comments they do then don't watch it if you don't like it i don't need to hear your comment mm-hmm. you know like it's free spit right in my face yeah it's free just move on if you don't like it mm-hmm. you know um but you know we love to give it to these people like because i've i've said it even in the last one i feel like some of our fan base is the best white tail edge people I call them white tail edge peeps whether y'all know that or not I call y'all my peeps <laughs> but my white tail edge peeps are like they're some of the most yeah they're like don't know them all but 
you know, the people that are buying our stickers and our hats and our hoodies and repping the brands, man, it means so much to us, Mm -hmm. you know. There's a lot of names that pop up a lot. A lot. And we know you. And Yeah. yeah. I had a guy text me from the stand the other night. He goes, I feel a little uh, weird sending you a selfie. (laughs) But he had my one of our newer whitetail edge hats on and all that. And I texted him back. I was like, man, you are sexy, <laughs> but no, I love it. I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah, it know? is. It's really special to have a bunch of, bunch of people backing us all the time, no matter what we do. Yeah. And that's one thing too. When I, when usually when somebody makes a stupid comment, we usually don't have to reply mm-hmm. <laughs> because usually other people start tearing into them. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I think that's all we got time for. I got to get this old man to bed. I'm going to head back. I got some timber stuff to do here this week. Um, But anyway, we're going to catch back up and appreciate you guys tuning in again to the second episode of Whitetail Edge Podcast.